Well, good morning and welcome to Trace. My name is Corey. It's good to have you guys here today. Uh, hopefully, everybody got a little extra sleep this morning, which means you should be more attentive to my message. All right, so I'm watching out for you guys. No, seriously, though, uh, one of my roles here is I get to be a student pastor. I get to hang out with our next generation uh, on Sunday nights and throughout the week and everything else, and so super excited about that. So for those of you all that have kids of that age, middle school and high school, send them to us, 6 to 8 tonight. Uh, those of you all that are students here in the room tonight, come join us, 6 to 8 tonight. We're in a series called Infinity Wars, where we're taking a look at uh, the battles that all teenagers face uh, throughout history, and so we'd love to have you come and join us there. Uh, in the meantime, we are here today, and we are in the series called Stranger Things, and over the past couple weeks, we've looked at stranger things, supernatural things, things like heaven and hell and angels, and, and what we've figured out, not, not only leading into this, but also because of this, is that people have a, a genuine intrigue with the supernatural. They, they really do, and, and we think that that's actually a good thing. It's a healthy thing. People should have an intrigue with the supernatural because how you see the supernatural will actually affect how you live out the natural. And so we, we want to be able to talk to you about things like heaven and hell and angels. Matter of fact, if you've missed those messages over the past couple of weeks, you can go on to our website and check it out uh, and our media page and, and watch those messages over the last three weeks. That'll give you some context to what we're going to be talking about today. But today we're actually going to be concluding this series by talking about Satan and demons. why I felt like I needed to do that, but we did that anyway. All right, we're talking about Satan and demons, and here's the deal. I'm not sure if you should be excited to talk about Satan, all right, but I'm actually really excited to talk about this particular subject, and here's the reason why. Over the last few years, I've learned some things about the supernatural, specifically the evil side of the supernatural, Satan and demons, that, that have helped me be able to actually have a proper perspective and an approach to how I actually see them and what I can do with them. And, and, and here's the deal. I believe that a deeper understanding of this subject, and specifically our adversary, our enemy, will actually help us as we engage in the battles of our faith. And so that's really why I'm excited about this today. Now, I say the word adversary because that's actually what Satan means. Satan literally means adversary. And I don't know if you guys have thought about this. Satan has always been the adversary to mankind, but he's not always been the adversary of God. You see, there was a time before time when Satan was not Satan, the adversary. He was actually a creation of God's. As a matter of fact, Aaron shared with this, uh, this verse last week from Colossians. It says this, For in Jesus all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. That includes Satan. Satan was created alongside of the other angelic beings. He was created with a very specific purpose, and he was created with another name. Now, we don't know exactly what the name of Satan was prior to his fall from heaven, uh, but most of us refer to him, it's commonly known as Lucifer. That would be his like pre-name uh, uh, prior to being coming Satan, and we'll talk more about that here in a little bit. Uh, now, I say that we don't really know his name because uh, that word Lucifer is actually a Latin translation of, of the word Hallel, which is a Hebrew word. And so what happens is, is if you were to look up the word Lucifer in most of your Bibles or in a concordance, you won't find that in most of your Bibles unless you have the King James or New King James versions that actually keep the Latin name Lucifer in that particular placeholder. What you'll have is the English equivalent of the translation of Hallel, which is uh, morning star or light bearer or shining one. 
Okay, those are things that describe the same thing that Lucifer describes. But for the purpose of our conversation today, I'll just use the name Lucifer to describe Satan's pre-existence to his fall. All right. Now, here's the deal. Right from the very beginning, uh, something uh, abundantly that we need to make very, very clear. And here it is. Satan is God's enemy. Now, he is God's enemy, but he is not God's equal. You see... In our minds, we have this contrast of good and evil, and we like to personify that. And so we put God over here and Satan over here, and I get it. But what we're doing is we're actually giving more power to Satan than what he actually deserves. You see, God and Satan are not on equal planes, all right? It would be like, it'd be like putting a peewee football player on the same playing field as like a Denver Bronco, all right? Like it's, not, it's not equal. It's not equivalent. Matter of fact, if you're to put somebody equivalent to Satan on the same playing field as him, it would be like the Archangel Michael or Gabriel, somebody like that. But, but Jesus and Satan are not on equal playing fields, See, Jesus created Satan. He's not his brother, as some religions might uh, cause you to believe. Satan is not infinite. He has a beginning and a very definitive conclusion. Satan was created. Now, if, if your mind is anything like mine, it goes to then, okay, then how was Satan, how was Lucifer originally created? What was his purpose? What was his design? What did he look like? And luckily for us, we've actually been given some insight into his character and his creation and his very design. And we get to see that through some scriptures we're going to look at here in a minute. Now, most of us have a picture of Satan in our mind that looks something like this, all right? Like very demonic, evil teeth, red, scaly body, horns coming out of his head, pitchfork in his hand. That's the image that we have of Satan. But when we look at the scriptures, we actually get a very different understanding, a very different picture of what Lucifer looks like. And so what we're going to do is we're going to open our Bibles up to Ezekiel chapter 28, and we're going to take a look at the description of Satan, not only how he looks, but also what his purpose was, and ultimately how he fell. Now, a couple things you need to know about this. Ezekiel is a prophet of God who has been commissioned to write letters to different people. In this particular case, in chapter 28, we see him writing a letter to the king of Tyre. All right, now, Here's the deal. The king of Tyre uh, is a man, and in the first part of his letter, Ezekiel's letter to, uh, to the king, he's speaking to the man. But around verse 12, you see that he stops speaking to the man, and he starts speaking to the spirit behind the man, which is Satan. Now, we know this because the things that he writes to the king of Tyre in this moment, if he was speaking to an earthly man, it wouldn't make any sense at all. You'll see that here in just a moment. Uh, Just to give you guys a quick reference, Jesus himself does this. He's having a conversation with Peter, and Peter tries to correct him about him going to the cross. And and Jesus literally says to one of his best friends, he says, get behind me, Satan. In that moment, he's not calling Peter Satan. What he's doing is he's speaking to the spirit behind Peter in that moment. That's what we see happening here in Ezekiel chapter 28. So open your Bibles, turn them on. Ezekiel 28, verse 12, we'll start there. It says this about Lucifer. He says, You are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, in the garden of God. Now just to clarify, the king of Tyre was not in Eden. He wasn't in the garden in the beginning. He wasn't part of that that scenario. He's not talking to the man who is the king. He's talking to the spirit behind the king. And listen to how he describes the spirit behind the king, how he addresses Satan. He says, You are the seal of perfection full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Have you ever thought about Lucifer being a looker? Like that's, that's the description that we get here is that, that Lucifer was actually beautiful. 
And then he goes on to describe them even further. He says, every precious stone adorns you, carnelian and chrysolite and emerald and all these other beautiful precious stones. He says, your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. What a description that we get of Lucifer in his pre-fall state. Now, most of us have a really hard time of thinking about Satan as being beautiful, but that's how he is being described. And you know why he was beautiful? Because God created him. God created that which is good. He created things that are beautiful. This is how he created him. Now, I want to draw your attention to two specific words in this particular description that actually will give us a greater understanding, not only of his look, but also of his purpose. And those words are the words settings and mountings. When we read them in this context, it really doesn't make any sense to us. But but the word setting is oftentimes translated tambourine or timbrel. And the word for mounts are actually oftentimes translated flutes or pipes. So read that again. Your tambourines and mountings were made of gold on the day you were created. They were prepared. The image that we get here is that not only is Satan in all of his glory and splendor created with these precious jewels attached to him, he's also created with instruments attached to his body. We, we see another allusion to this in Isaiah chapter 14. Again, we have Isaiah speaking to the spirit behind the king of Babylon in this particular case, but he's speaking of Satan, and this is how he describes him. He says, all your pomp has been brought down to the grave along with the noise of your harps. Have you ever imagined Satan as a harp player? Like that, That's hard for us to imagine. Now, now, it's easy for us to imagine Satan as a fiddle player, right? Yes, all right, you can turn that off. All right, so uh, now, the devil went down to Georgia, for those of you all don't know that song. You all should really know that song. So anyway, uh, so, but can you imagine like the devil actually being a, a master of stringed instruments as well? That's the image that we get from these passages, is that Satan was literally created with instruments attached to him, instruments that represent and encompass actually the whole gamut of instruments, percussion and wind instruments and stringed instruments, all attached to his very body. But for what purpose? Let's keep reading in Ezekiel. See, you were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. Now, last week, Aaron talked to us about angels and the different types of angels. One of the types of angels uh, was, was called a cherub. And, and one of the main reasons or purposes of a cherub is actually to offer worship to God. Here what we see is that Satan, or Lucifer, is actually set apart from the rest of all the cherubs. He's actually created and prepared and commissioned to be a leader of worship of God. You see, his very design, in his very function, in his very fashion, the way he's created himself, he was meant to be a worship leader. Guys, that is amazing to me. That, that he was designed with instruments attached to him for this very purpose. This is crazy. Now, for those of you all that are lost already at this point, allow me to, to recap this with a, with a quick equation. Okay, God created angels. Satan is one of those created angels. Happens to be a cherub. He, he is a worship leader among the angels. Worship leaders, therefore, are spawns of Satan. Thus, <laughs> Tyler is Satan. All right, so there we have it. Okay. Just joking, Tyler. I love you, man. On a serious note, joking aside, okay, I think that the picture that we have of Lucifer is way off. I think that a more realistic picture of Lucifer would be something like this. I think he, I think he looks more like an angel 
because of the description that we have and because he is an angel, a fallen angel, but an angel nonetheless. And so if Lucifer was created with such beauty and such potential purpose, what happened? Like what, what, what got broke in the midst of this? The author gives us some insight to that as well. He says, your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to earth and I made you a spectacle among the kings. Isaiah actually gives us a greater description of this. When he says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nation. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. And I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mounts of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And I will be like the most high. See, it's possible that Satan was created the most beautiful, maybe powerful, and maybe, maybe the most instrumental of all the angels, but he didn't want to be those things. He wanted to be God. He wanted to be worshipped. See, he was the one who was designed to lead in the worship of God, he, but he directed that worship toward himself. And the moment that Lucifer stopped worshipping God was the very moment that he became Satan. God's adversary, the devil, our accuser. Because who you worship determines what you are. Who you worship determines what you are. Now, I've talked a lot about Satan up until this point. What I want to do now is I want to talk to you a little bit about demons, and then we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about why that matters. Then war broke out into heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. What we have here is the fall of Satan that mimics what we saw in Isaiah and Ezekiel, but, but this is actually uh, recorded in the revelation that was given to John. And what I want you to notice is how the author mentions the enemy. He says the dragon and his angels, Satan and his angels. You see, Satan was not alone in his rebellion. Elsewhere in that revelation, it tells us that a third of the angels actually followed Satan. They rebelled against God as well. But you notice how he mentions them. He, he calls them angels. You'll actually find this multiple places throughout Scripture when it speaks of the devil and the enemies that, that are, are, are with him. It speaks of them as being angels. Why? Because demons are angels. Fallen angels, but angels nonetheless. And so the things that we learned last week about angels are all applicable to today. These are powerful and supernatural beings that were originally created to serve God. They may or may not have wings, uh, and, and, I, and I hadn't thought about this until last week, um, but our depiction of angels are probably off. They, they probably look more like angels than they do demons, demons, and so, um, and the reason why is because they are actually angels. Aaron talked about this last week, and I, I'd never thought about this before, but, but angels are spoken of of having this radiant light that comes off of them, and he talked about how that was maybe the case because they've been in the presence of God. The very presence of God actually causes them to radiate, and so it's likely that demons actually carry more of a shadowy figure and presence to them because they are no longer in the presence of God. But demons have limitations. They are not all-powerful. They are not all-knowing. They, they don't know the future, they're not ever-present, and they're not infinite. They are created heavenly beings with free will, and with their free will, they chose not to worship God. They chose to worship something other 
than God. And who you are determines, and who you worship determines what you are. It's the very thing that actually makes an angel a demon. Angels worship God, demons don't. It's the very thing that makes Lucifer Satan. And this is an amazing thing to me. Satan is now the enemy of God. We get that. And because he's the enemy of God, he's now become our enemies. You know why? Because God loves us. And because God loves us, now Satan has made us his enemy. Peter actually has something to say about this. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. See, Satan and his angels, the demons, they are on a mission to deter you from the very one who loves you. Think about this. Like Satan and his demons would not give a rip about any one of you if it wasn't for the fact that God loves you so much. You are actually his enemy because God actually cares about you so much. Otherwise, Satan wouldn't care about you at all. But he does. And he seeks to destroy you. He seeks to keep you from worshiping the one who loves you. Now, ab- about demons and Satan, uh, there are uh, different approaches that we can take to this. But C.S. Lewis, in his Screwtape Letters, uh, says it this way, and I think that this is brilliant. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, the human race, can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence uh, completely. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. In other words, there's a, there's a spectrum, and on either side of this spectrum, it is an unhealthy way to approach the demonic realm. Now, if you've never read this particular book by C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters, it is a fascinating book because what it does is it gives you kind of perspective into the demon's world and how they actually see how they can tempt and distract you and destroy you. And it's amazing some of the things that he shares there. I'd highly encourage you guys to read it to be able to get into the mind of the enemy for a minute and understand how he tries to deter us from worshiping God. But what he says is, is we can either be ignorant of these schemes and choose not to even believe in, in the devils and, and in his existence, or we can be so consumed by them that we think that there's a devil behind every rock, behind every disease, behind every issue that we go through. And here's, here's the point he's trying to make. He says on either end of that spectrum, it's a victory for Satan and his demons. And so what we need to do is we need to figure out a proper approach to this particular subject. And, and over the, the past several years, I, I've been kind of working through this, and I've figured out what works for me as I've studied this a little bit further, as I understand better who Satan is and who the demons are and what they're trying to do. It's helped me come up with the proper approach. And this is what I would encourage for you guys. First of all, you need to come to the acknowledgement that there really is a demonic realm. There really are demons that exist. And those demons are really your enemy because God loves you. Like they are out to destroy you and to distract you. There is really a war and a battle that is going on, sometimes in you, sometimes around you. But there is a spiritual warfare that's happening all over the place, and we need to be aware of that. But we also need to understand that we have nothing to fear. And so the proper approach that I would encourage you guys today is this. We should be aware, but not afraid. We should be aware of demons' existence and their power and their abilities, but not afraid. We should be aware that we are in a spiritual battle, aware of the devil's schemes, but confident that he who lives in us 
is greater than he who is in this world. Confident that the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath our feet. Confident that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That includes the demons. Confident that if we resist the devil, he will flee. And confident that we have been equipped for this very battle. As a matter of fact, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus about this very thing. And this is what he says. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Guys, there's a real battle going on, but we don't have to be afraid of it. We can step into it with confidence. He equips us and empowers us to be able to fight this battle. And I don't have time to get into kind of all the, the, the details with spiritual warfare today, but I, I want to highly encourage you, if you're in a neighboring group, to read Ephesians chapter 6 today and actually take a look at the armor of God. If you're not in a neighboring group, you need to get in one, all right? Otherwise, the devil will get you, all right? No, I'm just joking. Um, but uh, seriously, he will. And so uh, if you're not in a group, though, uh, have this conversation around your, your table with your kids. This is a great conversation to be able to have with your kids that God actually equips us with the armor of God to be able to put on ourselves the full armor so that we can defend ourselves against the devil's schemes. Now, something that, that you guys need to know, and this was, I, I talked to some people last service, this was one of the most impactful things for some people. And here's what you need to know. Satan and demons are not what separates you from God. They're not the thing that keeps you from God. They are proactive adversaries. They are promoters of sin. They are creators of distraction. They are distorters of truth. They are conjurers of fear, shame, and guilt. They want to do anything that they can to divert your worship from God, but they cannot keep you from Him. They can't. You see, demons don't separate you from God. Sin separates you from God. And that's on us. You are the only one who is able to make a decision to be able to veer toward, from God. And that's what sin is. Anytime we do something other than God, we veer in the direction of Satan. We have, we have cast away what God has told us is right for us and what is good for us, and we have sinned. We are the only ones, though, that are able to do that. Now, Satan and his demons, they can create scenarios and they can influence you, but they cannot force you to sin. And here's the, here's the good news. If you belong to Jesus, they can't do anything to take you away from him. We have this incredibly reassuring voice from Paul to the church in Romans where it says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You see, if your soul belongs to Jesus, if you said yes to Jesus, if the Spirit of Jesus lives in you, then there is absolutely nothing that Satan and his demons can do to take that away from you. They don't have that kind of power. But catch this. If the devil can't have your soul, then he wants to get your attention. If the devil can't have your soul, then he wants to do everything he can to keep you ineffective. And distracted. You see, Satan's desire is to be worshipped, okay? But if he can't deter, but if he can deter worship from God in any way, shape, or form, he counts that as a victory for himself. And, and when I say worship, what I mean is this: what gets the best of you? What gets your focus? What gets your attention? Because 
even though you might not be singing songs and raising your hands to those things, make no bones about it, that is what you are worshiping. And Satan doesn't need you to worship him. Most of us won't become devil worshipers, all right? We get that. But if you worship anything other than God, that's a victory for Satan. So what is it for you? Your career? Maybe your kids? Maybe pursuit of pleasure? Maybe entertainment? What stands in the way of you and your worship of God? So here's a question I just want to ask for you all. Maybe it's something that you all can ponder as we enter into a time of response here in a minute. Then it, maybe it's something that you just need some more time to think about throughout the week. I think this is a question that we should come back to on a regular basis because we are in a real spiritual battle. And so here it is. What am I allowing the influence? Where am I allowing the influence of the enemy to come into my life and create a distraction for my worship to God? Where am I allowing the influence of the enemy in my life to deter my worship from God? Now, guys, that could be something that you know right off the bat. It's like, man, that sin struggle, that temptation that I have, it gets me every time. Like, I know that's of Satan, and I know that's the thing that keeps distracting me, and and God wants you to do something about that. But for others of us, maybe it's a little more subtle. Maybe it's it's the pride in our heart. Maybe it's a, a use of our time. Maybe it's harboring unforgiveness towards somebody, and I can't completely worship God because I'm angry at somebody else for something that they have done in my past. Maybe it's valuing things that are so temporary and meaningless, like a a, a Kentucky game or a Broncos game, that we actually lose sight of who God is and how important he is and the things that he's put in our place, that we've just gotten distracted and sidetracked. Guys, I'm guilty of that. This is a question that we need to ask ourselves in a regular way basis. What am I allowing the devil to distract me from the worship of God? Now, some of you guys are sitting here and you're saying, Corey, I get that, but I'm not there yet. I'm not, I'm not ready to give my life over to Jesus. I'm not ready to worship him. I'm not there yet. And, and, and man, I get it. And, and just so you know, I'm so glad that you're here. We are glad. This is a place that you can come and work those things out in your life. We're so glad that you're here. But can I speak a little bit of truth and grace to you today? You are created to worship, and therefore you will worship something. You need to figure out what it is that you're worshiping, because who you worship determines what you are. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, there are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. You see, it is immortals whom we joke with and work with and marry and snub and exploit, either immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Those are the two options. Those are what you can become. All humans are immortal, but you get to choose what you end up becoming. You get to choose whether or not you're going to be in the presence of God as an everlasting splendor or separated from Him for all of eternity as an immortal horror along with the devil and his angels. You get to choose. But who you worship determines what you are. Now, guys, we, we aren't told exactly what the dialogue was uh, when Satan is demoted and he's banished from heaven. Uh, we get the description of, of how that whole thing takes place, but we don't exactly know the conversation that went down. But I can imagine that it went something like this. Lucifer looks at God and he says, Really? You created me to worship you. You designed me as a perfect instrument of worship, not only to worship but you, but to lead others in worship of you. If you banish me, 
If you kick me out, if you expel me from your presence, who's going to worship you now? I can imagine the God of all creation bending down, grabbing some dirt in his hand, and breathing life into it. They will. They will worship me. Father, thank you for giving us insight into the spiritual realm that comes through revelation. Father, we would not have any eyes to be able to see what's going on around us if it wasn't for that. And so we thank you for that. And we, we pray that we would understand it better. We, you'd give us eyes to be able to see what is actually going on and, and who is responsible. Father, give us a proper approach to this spiritual warfare that we are in to be aware of but not afraid of, Father, that we could stand in confidence that the spirit that lives in us is greater than the spirit that lives in this world. But, Father, above all things, I pray that you would cause us, you would draw us, you would make us make a decision as to who we worship. And, Father, today I choose you. I worship you. And I pray that same thing for the rest of these guys that are hearing this today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.